Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Revolution and Ideology. I'm Nick. I'm Jared. And this is a continuation of our last episode. In the last episode, we went through the characteristics of fascism uh, as written by Italian philosopher Umberto Eco. So there are 14 of them, and we went through them in depth in that past episode. So if you didn't get that, go back and listen to that one first, because we're going to blow through them in this one. And this one, our goal is to apply those characteristics to the current administration in the United States and see how many of them are met. We'll never be able to conclude whether or not it's fascist or not, because as we discussed in the last episode, Echo says that actually it's possible for fascism to coalesce, I think is the word he uses, or coagulate around any one of these characteristics. Uh, so if you're here for a conclusion on whether or not the Trump administration is fascist, you're not going to get that here. We're just going to see how many characteristics of Echo's characteristics of fascism the Trump administration happens to meet. And so, some of these things also would check off other ideologies besides fascism, oh, too, yeah, totally. which is super, yeah, yeah. super interesting to think nationalism about. Nationalism, as an example, yeah, exists like, in every nation, regardless of yeah, how democratic it is. Yeah, it doesn't matter where you live. Or, there's yeah. nationalism. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. All right, here we go. Number one. The first feature of you are fascism is the cult of tradition. Does that apply? Uh, those hats would seem to indicate 100% that it does. The entire messaging of the entire Trump campaign yeah. and the Trump administration has been to make America great again. When is the again? We don't know. It just existed at some point. America was great and it is no longer great. And so we must fight to get there again. But this is the whole point is that it's completely manufactured. If he were to name when it was great, it would take away the entire impact of the slogan right. and of the messaging and of the idea that tradition is what we should value and that it was great. If he were to say, make America like 1963, immediately it would be completely discounted. Right. So, so it, I mean, it was very clever. It was a very clever marketing. And, yeah, and one of my favorite is uh, when The Daily Show would send people out to like the, the rallies and stuff and they would interview people. So so when was that? Yeah. And then people would kind of stumble all over themselves but mm -hmm. they don't really know. Oh, 1776. Oh, so you're cool with slavery? And then they have to backtrack, right? Like, yeah. you know, like, yeah. So that's the point. It's completely manufactured. Number right. two. Um, traditionalism implies the rejection of modernism. Both fascists and Nazis worship technology, while traditionalist thinkers usually reject it as a negation of traditional spiritual values. But as we discussed in the last episode, they use technology, but only in a way to get back to their manufactured traditional era in which everything was so great. So it says, in a sense, your fascism can be designed, uh, defined as irrationalism. What do you think of this? Uh, yeah, meme culture, right? Meme culture, the internet. I mean, all of these have been used as tools to try and promote this idea of getting back to this manufactured past, which is a great irony because that manufactured past didn't have the internet or video yeah. games or whatever. Like, I, I can't even think of the things that, that these other tools uh, mm -hmm. that have been used um, to try and like spread this message. Yep. So there's like that, there's a great incongruency there, but I exactly. would argue it's irrational, right? Like you it, said. it's wildly irrational, but I would argue that there is this kind of like, at least ideologically, this kind of rejection of, I wouldn't say modernism in, in the United States now, but this idea of a rejection of progressivism. Totally. And I think that, that it's kind of, interchangeable in a way mm -hmm. i don't know progressive uh, yeah i don't think you can have a slogan that's make america great again and also support like progress towards some future ideal like those aren't things right it's it's by definition conservative like we talked about in the last episode right there's some again idealistic romanticized notion of the way life should be and anything that changes that is a problem exactly okay Number three, irrationalism also depends on the cult of action for action's sake. Action being beautiful in itself must be taken with or without any previous reflection. Thinking is a form of emasculation. 
Therefore, culture isn't suspect insofar as it is identified with cultural attitudes. Uh, and then he goes off to give examples. He says, uh, the frequent use of such expressions as degenerate intellectuals, eggheads, effet snobs, universities are a nest of reds, right? We hear to this day endlessly the liberal university and how it's indoctrinating our college students and so on. What do you think? Uh, that's definitely a thing that, that's been taking place. There's wild attacks uh, across on intellectuals throughout this culture. Like, honestly, uh, a lot of the messaging is built on it. I mean, there's literally professor watch lists. Mm -hmm. And um, there's an entire, like, I, I guess, uh, generation of followers of this ideology who have been conditioned to try and, like, call people out on all of their... I really to call them out on thinking too much or questioning, which we're going to get to here in a minute, but call anybody out that questions the current regime or the glorified perceived past that appeal to tradition, like all of that, like, and, and it's not necessarily unique to this era. Many of these like regimes have kind of been built on this, I, this anti-intellectual intellectualism. And we cited one of the first like examples in Western civilization way back in the day when Socrates was forced to drink the, the, uh, the hemlock because he asked too many questions, but that was an authoritarian thing for the Athenian assembly to do. Well, fast forward to 2020. And yes, um, teachers, educators at all levels from kindergarten through uh, higher education scared to actually approach topics that they want to approach or in ways they want to approach them or teach anything that is outside the curriculum or the state mandated like that, that merely not doing that, that threat I mean, we see it right here. And then in terms of action, yes. I mean, action is celebrated overthinking, right? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, country X, Y, or Z says something, doesn't even do anything, says something negative about the United States or the current administration. And the first threat via the Twitter thumbs is war. Mm -hmm. And that's celebrated. I love this last sentence of this section. He says, fascist intellectuals are mainly engaged in attacking modern culture and the liberal intelligentsia for having betrayed traditional values i want to you to all out there think about the attack on the liberal university and how their the liberal professors are anti-american and they're going against american values all of those things are fascist i can't stress that enough yeah, well, I mean, and that's the idea, teaching people that there's more than one way to look at the world. Apparently, it, well, we're going to get to that point here mm -hmm. in a minute. That is a problem. Yep. And somehow that is un-American. Or if you're in England, un-British, you know, within, amid Brexit culture or whatever, right? Like, that. Please explain to me how critiquing the status quo is somehow un-American. It's outrageous. The country was literally founded yeah. on it. It's <laughs> arguably the most American thing you could do is to critique things. Like, whatever. <laughs> Number four, no syncretistic faith can withstand analytical criticism. The critical spirit makes distinctions, and to distinguish is a sign of modernism. In modern culture, the scientific community praises disagreement as a way to improve knowledge. For you are fascism, disagreement is treason. Uh, well, and that's because, again we're appealing to some sort of like, again, romanticized past that we're trying to recreate, but we don't know what it is. So we're just going to kind of sit here and not move forward, whatever that looks like, whatever move forward looks like, mm -hmm. whether we're talking about like social, socially, whether we're talking about in terms of scientifically, we just want things to remain the same. Cause we're, well, honestly, I would argue this is a critique of mine because we're scared of the future and we're scared of the unknown. So there are very specific... Fascism is built on Can fear. you think of examples of scientific... Like, beliefs that the scientific community holds, like, almost wholesale in modern society that the current regime does not agree with and attempts Oh, funny to you should mention that. The whole world has pretty much acknowledged climate change is a thing. And there's one, one area in the world that is... Uh, very, very difficult. Well, it's one of the biggest problematic areas at this point that is kind of holding up progress on solving this problem. Not that it's 
fully solvable anymore, I would argue, but whatever. Mitigating the disasters. Yep. That's us. The second one is like the current right now with the COVID pandemic. Right. Every other country in the world has used science and rationality to address it in a much, much more satisfactory way. The United States is so lagging because the administration- I needed a haircut, damn it. I needed yeah. a haircut. Been Applebee's. Applebee's. Yeah, I needed Applebee's and a haircut. Because the administration refuses to listen to the science. It's denigrating the CDC. Like we, we've we seen it in the news. The CDC is American, mind you. Exactly. Like, like, like it's not like we're not <laughs> it's like. a government entity. Yeah, it's not coming from like, I don't know, some sort of Antarctic climate scientist down there. No, the CDC is an American government institution, right? CDC is run by the Russians. Like, it's <laughs> a, I don't understand. Number five. Besides, disagreement is a sign of diversity. You are fascism grows up and speaks for consensus by exploiting and exacerbating the natural fear of difference. The first appeal of a fascist or prematurely fascist movement is an appeal against the intruders. Thus, you are fascism is racist by definition. Before we get to the racism, I want to talk about the difference thing. And I want to very specifically call out Trump in the press conference mocking the differently abled reporter. I cannot... I cannot stress how just absolutely horrific and disgusting that is and how it fits into this example so much by making an example of that person that was quote unquote different and mocking and creating this fear of difference at the very beginning of his administration. Uh, We recently recorded an episode regarding what is taking place at the holding facilities along the border. Um, Obviously, we know that there are speeches specifically during the campaign back in 2016 that discussed immigrants as murderers and rapists. I mean, like like the news has already covered that. I don't need to regurgitate all of that stuff. But that is that's that's that fear of difference, creating fear um, of the other right there. That's an easy example. And um, we would both be completely remiss not to discuss what is literally happening in the streets of every major American city and not even major American cities. Like at this point, it's smaller towns, it's suburbs. Um, it's in our own town here, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the ideas that, that systemic racism is, has ever gone away. That's wrong. It's never gone away, but it's resurgence is actually the, the interesting part here is we're having this conversation in 2020, like systemic racism never went away. Uh, the nation state is, is, is yeah, built I on stress it. That, like Trump isn't unique in this, like his administration, uh, like, Systemic racism has existed in this country before the country was even a thing, right? On these lands. Right. But the resurgence is what is key. I think he's... And maybe not even the resurgence of systemic practice, but the resurgence of the ideology. Like the the practice never left. Exactly. Never left. Always been the practice. But, But the ideology... Well, I think there's also probably been a resurgence of individual racism. Well, yes. And the rationalization by those that are willing to follow... In, in, in the footsteps of, of, I guess, this fear of difference, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that is new. Uh, again, a mere 10 years ago, you couldn't get away with being, well, being as racist as people are being right now, blatantly. Completely like, you couldn't agree. get away with it. Yep. You'd at least be scared of repercussion from family or friends or, yeah. or your employer street, or something. Some, yeah. But, yeah. Number six, your fascism derives from individual or social frustration. That mm. is why one of the most typical features of the historical fascism was the appeal to the middle to a frustrated middle class. Yeah. A class suffering from an economic crisis or feeling of political humiliation and frightened by the pressure of lower social groups. 
Uh, I mean, that's obvious. Uh, the United States, uh, I mean, it's experiencing the largest socioeconomic gap in human history, not United States history, mm-hmm. human history. Now, I'm not completely ignorant and willing to say that like our lives are, are the same as like a middle-aged serf, but in comparison to those above us, our corporate masters or leaders, it actually worse. Julius Caesar was closer, at least materially, to a Roman slave than we are to our CEOs. So yes, and that leads to something called relative deprivation, which Nick can kind of explain real fast what's relative deprivation. That is exactly what it is. It's the idea of how deprived you are relative to someone else or another group of people. And that leads to this frustration that's being discussed. So me, like John, Joe, John Average, Joe Average, John Doe, whatever, pick a name. Me, regular everyday Joe kind of sees what's happening, whether it's in my social media feeds or whether it's um, on, I mean, no one watches TV anymore, but whatever, the lifestyle promoted on, on Netflix films or whatever it might be. And I don't have that and I'll never have that. And my job is wildly unsatisfying cue uh, Karl Marx's, Marx's alienation here. But regardless, how do I deal with this? I'm frustrated. I'm upset. And it's things are just not going my way. Yep. I'm frustrated. And the important point here and is that, that the fascist gonna, yeah. regime manufactures the scapegoat to blame for that frustration, right? And that's where the and difference comes in. The difference between leftism and fascism is the left blames the people at the top for their frustration in this position. Fascism blames some manufactured, usually... It's usually not even a real, like, people or group of people. They've invented what they are, right? right? I mean, they're a real group of people, but their description of them is not real. I mean, whatever. Trey Parker, Matt Stone, and South Park, they took our jobs, right? Yeah. Like, that's, it's, I mean, that's... Yeah. 100%. Exactly. Perfect. Seven. To people who feel deprived of a clear social identity, you are fascism says their only privilege is the most common one, to be born in the same country. This is the origin of nationalism. Besides, the only ones who can provide an identity to the nation are its enemies. Thus, at the root of you are fascist psychology, there is the obsession with the plot, possibly an international one. Uh, every topic ever in the history of the world, like, has been used recently. Like, again, like, I mean, we're talking from, like, the whole obsession with Russia and voting to the... That's the one that I think really is, like, the defining characteristic of this very specific administration is that it started on day one and it has not stopped. Yeah. That Russia is meddling in the elections and they're trying to take over the country. And, like, that has been from day one. Well, I would also say, like, lesser events, again, consistently threatening threatening war with Iran because they're mm-hmm. always a threat. Um, that's been a hallmark of this administration. And maintaining the narrative that they are a continuous threat to right. America. Yeah. Right. Uh, the North Korea narrative has been a little mm-hmm. bit part of that with this administration. And, of course, um, basically, if you are from anywhere south of the Rio Grande, so all the Latin American nations, um, yes, they're also considered part of the plot that they are trying to undermine um, the American uh, economy through immigration like that. That's yeah. part of it as well. Even uh, COVID itself, right, has been used oh, as like, yeah, right. it's, it's not real. It's manufactured by the left to challenge our democracy. I mean, the whole, the, it's absurd. Right. And or, so now the left well, globally. And that, that, and, actually, that's a good example. What did he call it? The, the, the Chinese disease mm-hmm. or something? Yeah, is it? yeah exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Co- um, coronavirus, right? Just yeah. that term itself. That's, yeah. Right. Number eight. The followers must feel humiliated by the ostentatious wealth and force of their enemies. When I was a boy, this is Umberto Eco talking. When I was a boy, I was taught to think of Englishmen as five-meal people. They ate more frequently than the poor but sober Italians. Jews are rich and help each other through a secret web of mutual assistance. However, the followers must be convinced that they can overwhelm the enemies, thus by a continuous shifting of rhetorical focus. The enemies are, at the same time, too strong and too weak. Fascist governments are condemned to lose wars, but they are continually 
constitutionally incapable of objectively evaluating the force of the enemy. So the followers must be humiliated by the ostentatious wealth and force of their enemies. Uh, yeah, I mean, the China example is pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. I mean, no one can deny that that economy is booming, um, and they are now the new economic power in the world, so we must denigrate them in whatever way. And then, of course, it's not just the coronavirus. It is the uh, the sanctions back and forth between the two countries. Mm -hmm. um, but all of that is built on this idea that, as, as uh, Echo says, the enemy is both strong and weak. So China clearly strong economically, but cannot withstand the uh, whatever uh, freedom ass kicking they're eventually yeah. going to well, get via the, in the market. This made right. me think of the tariffs that we enacted against China, right? Well, that's yeah. We isn't you and I did it, but you know what I mean. Like that, right. this regime enacted against China as like sort of vengeance or even right? again the constant war posturing against iran in this mm -hmm. case like yes they're they, well we're strong enough that we could just do whatever we want but but we have to keep doing these other things because they're also like whatever exactly too strong for us i also want to put this like that's and so they're far... a threat and you should be scared of them and that's why that's exactly. why this is yeah we could destroy them at any time they're such a weak like threat but you should feel really threatened by them, like at the same time, right? right. This is like circular. We're going to get to news speak in a second. Mm -hmm. um, I also want to put this on the micro scale, right? Where like the white middle class, who let's be honest, is Trump's supporters. It's the same thing when they're looking at anyone, the black minority in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. They're at the same time weak and poor and like we could overpower them at any time. But also there's the narrative of like the welfare queen and like they're living these ostentatious lifestyles without actually contributing or working or right. It's just this double speak all of the time. I would argue it's actually just blatant racism at this point. Well, I don't, I think, I don't that, think there's yeah. any rationalization anymore on that one. I would argue they're yeah. just it's just blind racism. I mean, the whole thing's irrational. That's yeah. kind of the point. Yeah. Number nine. For you, our fascism, there is no struggle for life, but rather life is lived for struggle. Thus, pacifism is trafficking with the enemy. It is bad because life is permanent warfare. This, however, brings out an Armageddon brings about an Armageddon complex. Since enemies have to be defeated, there must be a final battle after which the movement will have control of the world. But such a final solution implies a further era of peace, a golden age, which contradicts the principle of permanent war. No fascist leader has ever succeeded in solving this predicament. So this isn't even unique to the current administration. We nope. could argue this starts with like ideological wars dating back to, uh, in this podcast, we've talked about numerous times, wars on the indigenous like savage identity, uh, manifest destiny. It was constant warfare uh, against like anybody that stood in the way of the uh, territorial expansion of the country. Um, we get it a little bit when this like kind of during the uh, the uh, yellow journal journalism that took place during the Spanish-American War and this war on imperialism that the United States was fighting when really they were just trying to acquire new colonial territories territories of their own. We see it with the war on the, uh, what would they call him, the mad dog of Europe uh, during World War One, Otto von Bismarck. Mm -hmm. um, and we definitely see it, ironically enough, fighting fascism in World War II. It's weird that we have forgot that we fought against fascism at one point. Mm -hmm. um, although I, I hear there was recent tweets denigrating those veterans. Um, I don't know. That's true. That is true. So mm -hmm. apparently it wasn't cool to to defeat the Nazis back then anymore, uh, which is super weird. That's news to me. But at, regardless, um, anyway, moving forward. I mean, like, just the fact that Nazism, like formal officially Nazism is having a resurgence in the United States is ridiculous. But anyway, yeah. But so these wars of like kind of like ideological where it's not just like boots on the ground, but we're fighting like an idea. And of course, it takes off with the war on drugs, which gives us an excuse for numerous, mm -hmm. of course, campaigns throughout Latin America. And then the war on terror, numerous campaigns throughout the Middle East. Um, and now most recently and dealing specifically with this administration, 
war on our own people. Um, militarization of the police uh, predates, of course, the Trump administration. We can blame the Obama administration. We can blame the Clinton administration. We can blame, oh, I skipped the W administration somehow. Um, yeah, we can blame the HW administration. Mm-hmm. We can blame the, so that, 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 that's already a hallmark of all of the modern, whether we're talking about Democrats or Republicans, they're all guilty of this uh, militarization of the police and continuing to up the ante. But now using the National Guard in places like Seattle and Portland and Kenosha, Wisconsin, like this is, I mean, that is now a war on your own people because as we learned earlier, apparently thinking differently is treasonous. Exactly. 100%. I also want to talk about this very specific one in number nine, the Armageddon Complex. Life is permanent war. Since enemies have to be defeated, there's a final battle. This is what leads to the type of thinking that I don't even remember the dude's name, the 17-year-old kid that drove to the protest with his assault rifle. Kyle uh, Rittenhouse. Kyle something. Yeah, Yeah. Kyle Rittenhouse. That's what leads to this type of thinking, though, right? Is this idea that you are a soldier in this permanent war for the country, right? This nationalism, action for action's sake, right? And so on. It's ridiculous. We'll get to this even more. Number 11. People drive the semi driver. Uh, where was that? That mm-hmm. just drove through the people. No, exactly. The driving through where the protest. Was I don't remember. God, there's so many at this point. Yeah. So many examples. Driving, running over protesters and so on. Exactly. Yeah. Number 10. Elitism is a typical aspect of any reactionary ideology insofar as it is fundamentally aristocratic. And aristocratic and militaristic elitism cruelly implies contempt for the weak. You are fascism can only advocate a popular elitism. Every citizen belongs to the best people of the world. The member of the party are the best among the citizens. Every citizen can or ought become a member of the party, but there cannot be patricians without plebeians. In fact, a leader, knowing that his power was not delegated to him democratically, but was conquered by force, also knows that his force is based upon the weakness of the masses. They are so weak as to need and deserve a ruler. Any thoughts on this one? I mean... No, I think this has a lot to go with like nationalism also, like the American exceptionalism, this idea that we're going to completely ignore all facts and we're going to just use newspeak, which we're getting to, to talk about how the United States is the best country in the world. And specifically, I'm thinking now just the most current thing in COVID, right? Like the narrative of the administration is that the United States is handling this better than any other country. And every single statistics proves that that is incorrect. I can't stress that enough. But, but, yeah. Um, yeah, as Talib Kweli said, the fax is dead. <laughs> That's good. Mm-hmm. Number 11. In such a perspective, everybody is educated to become a hero. In every mythology, the hero is an exceptional being. But in you are fascist ideology, heroism is the norm. The cult of heroism is strictly linked with the cult of death. It is not by chance that a motto of the phalang- phalangists was Viva la Muerte. In English, it should be translated as long live death. Blah, blah, blah. He goes on to say that in non-fascist regimes, people are taught to fear death, that death is painful and so on. But in fascist regimes, the hero is taught to crave death, to die as a hero. He's impatient to die. And in his impatience, he uh, more frequently sends other people to their death as well. Thoughts? I think this is where I really want to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. See, okay, and I like your point on that because this is where I'm getting hung up a little bit. This might be one that I think the current administration doesn't check off as much. I don't think that they're promoting people to go out and die for the cause, at least not any more so than anyone would be like for like like anyone prior to like Mm -hmm. when you're fighting for the nation state in the U.S. Army or something. Like 
I would argue that's not the case. And I, I, I guess I'm trying to, though, these... in fact, I would argue they want people not to be the hero. I think they want people to just sit down, shut up and consume as much Netflix and video games as possible. I think that's is what, what they, they so I think that's what they want from the left. We're going to use the term the left, even though I hate using it, but that's absolutely not what they want from people on the right. Like we've seen just the white militia movements just come out of the woodworks. I'm not saying they didn't exist. They've been there, but like you said, now they're coming out into the streets, just out in the open, Full, bull, full BDUs, bulletproof vest, helmets, full AR-15s with scopes. Like, we have never seen that before to this scale, like, in this country, where, like, the, the this whole administration and the newspeak they're using and the narratives they're using and it's between the lines and the movements and the QAnon, like, all of these things are creating these quote-unquote heroes that are willing to go into the street and potentially die for their cause. I think we still just disagree. I, I, I definitely see those people. I'm not saying they don't exist. I don't think they're willing to die for it. Well, maybe they're not willing to die. Maybe oh. deep down, that's not the oh, case. Okay. But you don't go okay. to the street with a bulletproof vest and an AR-15 if you're not willing to put your if you're not putting your life on the line. I think it's theater still. That's I know. my. Pr- you and I disagree on this. I a think lot. it's still theater. I don't. Think I don't it's theater. Okay. I don't. I, I, the second you start shooting people, it's not theater. Yes, individuals. Eh, God, you are. I mean, you make a good point with with with. Uh, Kyle, the second you Kyle run people over with your car and kill them, it's no longer theater. The second you drive the semi through the crowd, it's not theater anymore, right? These are people taking and you think action. They're, and they think they're heroes. Okay. Exactly. Okay. They're fighting I mean, for the cause, right? We might let you win this one. I, th- I mean, I can see it. I guess the other part of me, though, knows that like our culture is also a culture that is trying to... New Mexico, the dude. I remove, forgot about that guy. But our culture in general, whether we're talking about left or right, I think our culture in general is trying to, or the storytellers in our culture are trying to remove agency from all of us, whether we are left or right so i guess that's the angle i'm taking is that sit down shut up and let us handle it for you i think is also part of what we're seeing today does that make sense yeah uh, yes i agree with that like and we're socialized into it with our bullshit superhero movies and stuff Mm -hmm. like don't try and make any change on your own wait for some savior to come and do that waiting for superman whatever it is right like so I, i i but i definitely see your point too yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good one. I think it's conflicting, right? It's contradictory. Right. Where then you don't know what to do. Am I supposed to be right. the hero, or am I am I the hero by watching Netflix? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, number twelve, number twelve. Since both permanent war and heroism are difficult games to play, the UR fascist transfers his will to power to sexual matters. This is the origin of machismo, which implies both disdain for women and intolerance and condemnation of non-standard sexual habits, from chastity. To homosexuality. Do we even need to talk about this one? The man this- during the campaign was revealed saying prior to the campaign, he literally grabs blank and nobody batted an eye. No one cares. No one cares. Yeah. Like that is, and it's not just that, like even in our own, like you guys can go kind of troll the rest of our channel, but one of the most popular things that is thrown at us is when we make an episode about historical women that have gained agency or fought for their rights or done so many amazing things that they're not credited for in the history books, the first comment every time we post one of those, and it's from a plethora of different people, is something negative about women every yeah. single time. And that's just on our cute little channel and our cute little echo chamber that we have here. If you expand this across the entire nation state like i mean yes misogyny yeah. is is, this is, is resurrected like absolutely undeniable there is no debating this one. right i'll entertain debates on the others but uh number 12 i'm sorry it's just it's, it's a thing it's a thing uh yeah i just it's the the resurrection of the uh the alpha right like mm-hmm. that's a thing now exactly. like that is like it's yeah. popular like mm-hmm. 13 you are fascism is based on upon a selective populism. 
a qualitative populism, one might say. In a democracy, the citizens have individual rights, but the citizens in their entirety have a political impact only from a quantitative point of view. That is, the majority rules quantitatively, statistically. For you are fascism, however, individuals as individuals have no rights, and the people, the people, is conceived as a quality, a monolithic entity expressing the common will. The leader pretends to be their interpreter. Having lost the power of delegation, citizens do not act. They are only called upon to play the role of the people. Thus, the people is only a theatrical fiction. He goes on. What do you think about this? Uh, in terms of the quantitative, I mean, that's obvious. Uh, the Electoral College uh, reveals that, but that's not necessarily this administration's um, creation. That that goes back to 1788 uh, Actually, this quote is good, which we didn't talk about in the last episode, but it's in under 13 as well. Because of its qualitative populism, you are fascism must be against rotten parliamentary governments. What was the quote in the campaign? He's going to drain the swamp, right? Right. Drain the swamp. Well, and again, like I said, I, I bring up the Electoral College specifically because uh, the current administration lost the popular vote. So there was no quantitative ascension Excellent example. There. So good. So yeah, good. Lost the popular yes. vote. We could, we Statistically lost the election. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, but there's this example. cute little, cute little uh, aside in our democracy that kind of uh, changed the game there. Exactly. Number 14, last one. You are fascism speaks newspeak. Newspeak was invented by Orwell in 1984. Like I said in the last episode, if you haven't read 1984, go do that. Uh, as the official language of INSOC, English socialism. But elements of UR fascism are common to different forms of dictatorship. All of the Nazi or fascist school books made use of impoverished vocabulary and an elementary syntax in order to limit the instruments for complex and critical reasoning. But we must be ready to identify other kinds of newspeak, even if they take the apparently innocent form of a popular talk show. Thoughts on this one before I go off? I'm going to do, yeah, you can go off here in just a moment, but just um, just to kind of cite a nice source on this that we cite often because they, they do good work there, but uh, Vox actually has an entire short YouTube video on how presidential speeches um, themselves have been dumbed down. And the most recent one at the RNC, I think they cite, and someone can correct me if you've already seen this video, I'm not going to pull it up right now. The most recent one was a fifth grade level speech. Mm-hmm. Um that was provided to uh, 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 the masses. Um, whereas if we go all the way back to G-Dub, George Washington, who not a big fan of either, but regardless, that was a post, like that was a graduate level set mm-hmm. of speeches that he would give. I think it was at his inauguration or something along those lines. Yeah. So so yes, yes, language is dumbed down. Um, now, newspeak is something even more that you're going to probably go off on now. <laughs> well, I want to actually continue the dumbed down speech. I want you to listen to a press conference or a speech by Donald Trump. And I mean, not like, I'm not saying that, whatever. I don't care what your political affiliation is. I just want you to listen to the wording and how he speaks, not even because it's dumb, because it's intentionally crafted so that you cannot critique it. The things that he says are so dumb that you can't even critique what he's saying. So when he says things like, America is the greatest country in the world, and you say, well, statistically, that's not true. If you look at all these facts, like it's absolutely in the case, what's his answer? Go back to China. What? Like, we're not even having a logical conversation here. And that is so very intentional. I want to be clear. I actually want to give kudos to Trump on this because, like, most people say he's just an idiot. Why would he talk like this? What a dumbass. Like, he's so dumb and so just not intelligent. I think it's 100% crafted intentionally. I don't know if he's crafting it for or his advisors. Or his speech writers are, yeah, right? Yeah. He's not like, writing speeches, I don't think let's he's be writing honest. No president does. Yeah, but, no, no president yeah. does. Obama didn't. Clinton didn't. Like, n- none of them did. Even Yeah, so regardless, 
Um, so yeah, I do, I do think it's crafted that way intentionally. Um, and again, it's to not, like I said, it's, it's, it's simplified in a way. There are no facts. There's nothing logical. Right. There's nothing rational. He's not making any kind of logical argument. He's just saying things. Right. And you can't disagree because when you disagree, he just says more things. He never says facts that can be debated. We nearly did an entire episode on the late 90s, early 2000s film Idiocracy mm -hmm. based off of this. We decided not to because <laughs> the film didn't age as well as I thought it did. I, I had my own romanticized version of something I watched uh, in the past and it wasn't nearly. It's still good. Like, you know, shout out Luke Wilson and everything. But like, whatever. Like, but that is the one part of the film, like just the oversimplification and the dumbing down of culture mm -hmm. and the no longer like, does it matter to have sources cited or statistics or anything along those lines? I just say things and that somehow makes them true. And if I don't like what you're saying, then you should either, I'll either fight you or you need to leave. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I, I just, but then the news speak is more than that. That goes back mm -hmm. to this idea of echo chambers. Um, yep. Whether we're talking the left or the right, we could actually pick on them both here. But in this case, like this idea of echo chambers where we are only listening to and hearing what we want to hear. And further, the news speak is we create our own language so right. that other people can't talk to us and so that we cannot be critiqued because their language is incapable of creating the critiquing the way that we speak. Right. Like, what's an easy example? Libtard. Apparently, that's like now a blanket statement. Like, mm -hmm. like, like, like being. And Nick and I are not this, so we actually don't take offense to this, but being like a traditional liberal or whatever, like makes you, and I don't want to use the term because it's wildly derogating. Yeah, which at the same time, but makes, denigrates liberals and the differently abled. Yeah. In one like, term, right? But, but somehow that makes you less than for merely thinking a different way. And what traditionally, even, even when we think about like the way, let's say Democrats and Republicans would battle in the eighties or nineties, it was about fiscal conservatism versus welfare. Those are like general issues, but now now those issues are not it's not even about that now mm -hmm. now that has been taken to like some sort of moral and ethical issue uh, yeah. level and saying something as well in one of our most recent episodes saying something as controversial as children should not be in fucking cages somehow makes me a what yeah yeah Think like about also like somehow like america is the greatest country in the world well if you see here we have more covid deaths per capita than any other country well you're un-american Right. It's completely like ad hominem. Like there's no, there's no just wrangling with actual rational thought. Right. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. It's not just, we can't even just blame the administration in this. They're actually just riding the wave. This has been going on long before this current administration. Mm -hmm. And we can thank, of course, our, our storytelling class. Uh, at first it was mainstream media. And then of course now it's social media, but that's, yes, you get a bunch of uneducated people echoing their opinions without any citations, without any facts, without any sort of actually learning and how to academic this is what we or get. have to think critically even at a fundamental level. And yeah, we could pick on them all. Like, I, I, yeah, we'll call them out. The Sean Hannity's of the world or the Tucker Carlson's of the world or the whatever. I can't even think of others right now off the top of my head. Because God, it's those just are so such out good of examples. Like any newscaster, it doesn't even matter if it's the right or left or conservative or progressive. Or just listen to the way that they speak. That is news speak, right? It's yeah, no, I'll pick on it. I'll pick language. on the left too. Yeah, I would never sit down and take a class from Rachel Maddow. Yeah. I wouldn't. Or uh, Samantha B. I'm mm -hmm. not impressed by that. No. And again, but that's because she too has like dumbed down. Like again, mm -hmm. so now it's like everybody's fighting to be the most simplistic. I don't know. It's a common denominator, right? Yeah. Anyway. So that's 14. So what I want from our listeners and viewers is to, I mean, we've just gone through how an argument can be made that the current administration 
can at least check some of the box for all 14 characteristics of fascism. However, I want to say that doesn't necessarily mean that it's fascist. Echo is very clear that you could have all of them and not be fascist, or you could have one single one of these and be incredibly fascist. So we're not actually, like I said, going to conclude that the Trump administration is fascist or isn't fascist. There are other variables that play a role in here, but it could check off all 14 boxes, some of them more than others. So and again, these are not our boxes. These are Umberto Echo's. So we're using his definition here. And some could argue what makes this one dude the authority on anything fascism. He's probably not, but these were the ones that... These seem to be the more accepted among academics. And like you see these in like yeah. all other lists that are like characteristics of fascism. It's some form of these in one way or another. In the last right? episode, I mentioned like Lawrence Britt. His are the, basically the same. They're just not as credible as or the Echo's. book we use in our class, the Oxford Reader on yeah, fascism. Yeah, like they his are pretty similar too. too yeah. But uh, yeah, They're again, all very similar. Yeah. So what I want to hear in the comments is um, what you guys think. Uh are we correct? Are we wrong? Where do you think the current administration fits and doesn't fit? I also want to add one more caveat that like came up when we were going through this list. Many of these aren't just like they just happened with the Trump administration. There are long histories of like the racism one. Clearly, there's been systemic racism since day one in the United States. Right. Like the Trump administration didn't invent that. Very and some clearly. some would check off. You could say that some of these might fit into a, a, a socialist narrative as well. Totally. Um, some might fit into a traditional like democratic um, um I mean, most democracies are also wildly nationalistic about their democracy. Like, so some mm-hmm. of the, it's not specific, but again, checking off at least bits and pieces of at least all 14 of these is rough. It's rough. Find us online, revolutionandideology.com. We're on Twitter at Rev and Ideology. If you're listening to this in your podcasting app, note that we have a YouTube channel as well where you can see uh, our beautiful faces, though we're not as attractive as our listeners expect, according to that one YouTube comment we got, which is kind of depressing. Um, we got old at some point, man. Yeah. Just whatever. I mean, it's been happening over the past few decades, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Nick. Jared. Later.